This episode is brought to you by our friends at FB Autosport. There's nothing worse than spending your race weekend under your car missing sessions because you were too swamped to get everything done in time. Whether it's car prep, new car builds, or arrive and drive, FB Autosport has you covered for Time Attack, GLTC, or WRL. They even have cars you can rent now while you put the finishing touches on your latest race car project. Reach out to Rob at FB Autosport now and tell him that Slip Angle sent you to get your project car finished and get back on track. Welcome, everybody, back to the Slick Bangle podcast. This is number nine, and I'm joined by Mr. Tom O'Gorman. Throwbacks, track angle, slip tuned. We're there. And like, you're also you're, you're a famous YouTuber, you're a podcast host, <laughs> you, you drive race cars, like you do some things. You, well, how do you, you're staying busy. I'm staying busy. I am. I'm, I'm like being a grown up. How, well, how's Which, that working? Uh, no, it's not going great. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, the last time we talked, I think I was like, just start. Oh, I just threw my phone at you. You were like uh, sort of starting your like your business. You were starting yeah. your grown up life. Yes, that would have been like two, almost two years ago, or was that just last year? I think it was last year. Holy cow! Because it started only... like actually coaching, and you were kind of settling into to that. Um, that you want to start there? One year. Oh my god. <laughs> how has how has coaching been in the last year? I learned so much. I learned. I learned so many different things about different things. Um, on the actual coaching side, I think I'm I'm really happy with how I'm developing as an educator. Um, that's been the biggest learning curve on top of business and time management, which I'll get to. But it's really, really fun to hear myself talk or, or, or something. And I, I say something, I'm like, oh, that's a, I wouldn't have come up with that three or four years ago or something. So I definitely feel myself gaining confidence with the coaching. I learned so much about the time management and business side last year, though, because I've designed a coaching model that's not very standard. Um, most of my coaching last year was at grid life events or other track events where I was also a competitor or a participant. Sure. I coached groups of typically seven. I tried to start the year at 10. That was way too much. So I backed it down to seven and that I still am backing down this year to five and kind of learned the sweet spot of time spent with each person to get the quality product that they need, to get the attention they need, how much time I have for myself, uh, how much sleep I lose at night by staying up either, you know, late to look at stuff for myself or getting up early to meet with someone by, by their first session the next day. There's, uh, there's so much nuance to the, to the design of model that I built. And I got really lucky at the end of the year. I had two coaching gigs that were private. I just went to the track. I didn't compete. I just went and hung out and, and coached a driver. And I went to go to the Global Time Attack event at Button Willow as just a driver. That was the only event I did all year, including one lap, including everything that I was not coaching somebody else. Okay. And I loved private coaching, and I loved being the driver. And I realized how much all year stressed me out trying to be both at the same time. Um, so a lot of what I've spent the offseason doing is thinking about and figuring out my schedule for how am I going to make time to enjoy both and isolate both because I don't think I could handle another year of doing both at the same time. Well, yeah, and you have uh, a really, really robust program as a competitor, right? And so, like, you, uh, you have to balance all of those things. Tell me yeah. about how you do that. Well, I would say last year probably not very well. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think being a competitor is a pretty large part of my identity. I mean, I was a professional driver for a lot of years. I still claim that on my resume. <laughs> By the time this comes out, I might have been announced as a pro driver again. Who knows? But um, 
that's a big part of my identity. So when it comes to saying no to competing, that becomes really scary because at some point, if Tom becomes the coach and not the driver, I lose part of what I feel is part of my identity. Identity, yeah. But I also learned that I do enjoy coaching when I'm not competing, and I really enjoy competing when I'm not coaching. I lied. I really enjoy the coaching when I don't have to be distracted by the competition and vice versa. Okay. Um, but my income is now fully the coaching. So I never feel uh, I never feel comfortable saying no to the coaching. So right. I have to learn to be comfortable saying no to the competition. Sure. Or figuring out how to make my schedule that I still hit the competition that I want or I get enough of it and, and then make the rest of the time for coaching. So uh, that's, that's kind of my goal for this year. And it might mean less uh, less consistent competition and more. I've been calling them like tent pole competition. I think Chris sure. does this a lot, like yeah. big tent pole events. You know, well, like, like flagship events. I really want to do one lap again. I really want to do UMI again uh, someday. I really want to do maybe a very specific set of GLTC races, but maybe I can't do the whole season, and that's sure. okay. Um, so I'm I'm kind of balancing the life choices I've made now learning to like deal with the consequences of how I set it up and manage it so that I actually do love it all the time yeah. instead of feel stressed. Cause I think, I mean, half of last year I was kind of a monster, I think. <laughs> and yeah. it was out of stress for not having enough, you know, uh, bandwidth to manage all the stuff that I tried to do. Sure. Um, and I know the last time I talked with you, I think you had just moved to Wisconsin. And so yeah. uh, more recently you've fully embraced your Wisconsin identity. You're now known as Wisconsin Tom. And you make uh, YouTube videos. I think there's a photo of that being taken right now, so you can <laughs> see. What, yeah, yeah. Um, I I had a little, you know. So I lived in Chicago for one year. I moved to Wisconsin, and when the one year lease of the of the apartment came around, it was like this this one week like think: Do I want to do this again? Do I? Am I in for a longer haul than I was in Chicago and whatever? And I decided to stay. Because we only, I mean, we bid off so much. I don't know if, I don't know if you've talked to Andy or whatever, run through it, but we did, I did 41 events last year. We ran over 100 grid life entries alone. We ran two endurance races. We ran one lap. We ran seven of our own personal ASM events. Did like, you also end up traveling to the FD events with Robert? I did, all, I did three of the four FD events. Andy did all four. I mean, like, we did so, so, so much. There's no way we could have done all of it the best I mean, we could have done. So that as, means let's as a do tangent, it again. like... At that point, are you also like actually working while you're in the truck, like moving cars around? Because that's oh yeah, it's a non-negligible part of your time commitment. Oh yeah, and we drove the truck to every event. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like he drove you, one rig and I drove the you other. You must be able to like work from the truck because otherwise you would lose all that time. And we're definitely not doing it while we're driving the truck. Of course, right? Um, so we, I, I try to think of it as look at all this stuff that we did, and it wasn't really until PRI that I realized in talking to all the companies that we usually sync up with, like, holy cow, how much we did. Well, and knowing what worked, what didn't work, what we can bite off for next year. And one thing we started last year, to get back to your original question, was making YouTube videos. I think there's a massive value in that kind of relationship to what we're doing on a regular basis that's accessible through YouTube, and then also growing our audience through the algorithm of YouTube versus, like, I guess Instagram kind of has an algorithm, but there's not a lot of, like, new presentation to new audiences outside of like our track Midwest buddies and, sure. and that kind of thing, right? So if we want to grow ASM, Tomo coaching, whatever it may be, like we got to try stuff. So I think we did daily videos for the first like three months of 2022. 
culminating in daily vlogs for one lap, and then the, the channel went dry for like six months. Yep, because <laughs> we just that's had a great way to keep dude, the channel going. We had way too much, and the videos when we were doing it regularly, man, we had so much engagement. Like you could see the audience ramping up, and the videos got a lot of like we have six, seven thousand, eight thousand views on like race vlogs from Coda and yeah, AMP yeah. and stuff. And then when it dried up, it's like we'd upload one video, three hundred views. Yep. So it's like you, you're starting to see how it works. So Andy and I kind of decided to buckle down. He's building a drift car. I'm building my track-ish car. Okay, we're going to hold each other accountable by alternating videos. Sure. You make yours. Now it's your. Now it's my turn to make mine. And as soon as the other one's video comes out, it's like the pressure's on for me to hit the next Tuesday. So we're trying to hit Tuesdays. We're trying to do a little bit of a variety. You know, we've done some like track track prep uh, videos and obviously build and. There's so many options, and it's easy to overthink, to be honest. It's easy to just, like, try to do too good of a job and do, like, 20% of the work for 80% of the video would do just as fine. And, uh, <laughs> but, so I, there's something that I really – there are many things that I really like about your videos. Um, and I think the most important thing is that when car work and car wrenching is documented on YouTube – even if the mechanic actually isn't very good, everything through the magic of editing is made to look easy and it makes things seem simple and often they're not. And my favorite thing about your videos is that you historically have not identified as a mechanic. Never. And how dare you even even No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And, and you do not, you do not claim to be particularly skilled at this. And no, I'm straight up bad at it. <laughs> the, the, the hook is, well, we're going to record it anyway. Yeah. Like, we're, we're going to see what this actually looks like. Like, if, even if you're not an expert at this, like, we're going to do it together. And, like, it, if, if you are watching this and you're interested, just, like, give it a try. And if you're not great at it, it's because it's hard. And people who are good at it work a long time to be really good at it. Yeah. And so I think, for me, that's, that's what's most charming about the videos. I wanted to make sure... Honestly, like if the first three videos turned out, I'm, I'm like so proud of the first three videos in the way that they turned out because I don't think I could have made them that way on purpose better. Just in the like, I mean, editing still makes things look great. So like you have the 30 seconds of me like dropping bolts, making stupid faces, whatever. Like that all actually happened. It might have been 30 minutes instead of sure. two minutes. In the, but you, you can still clip it down. I'm genuinely like turning the camera on on a tripod, filming myself, and then just trying to do the work. Yeah. So... You know, the editing makes it look probably a little goofier, but I'm a child of YouTube. I I gravitate towards YouTube as my entertainment source anyway. So I'm kind of making the video that I want to watch while telling the story that I know I should be telling, which is the honest, straight up, like, I... Friends don't ask friends to mount tires (laughs) was the funniest thing that you've done. When I learned how to mount tires, I was like, this is what I've been asking people to do for like 10 years. I used to... I texted Ed Colazzo. I texted Ed and said... I just learned how to mount tires today. I'm I am so sorry. so sorry. And he texted me like every, he loved that rant, you know. Um, so two of the build videos plus the picking up the car, it's a 2023 BRZ. Um, two of those are out. The next video that's queued up, there's actually like four days of work plus the two track days now of film that I'm, and I have no idea how to break it up because I stopped having fun and I genuinely started to actually hate working on the car doing simple stuff so it's like okay and I have to tell this story but I'm overwhelmed and I'm mad in the moment so maybe I don't film right now 
but I should film I mean, right if, now. If Wisconsin you know, Tom has meltdowns, you better record one. There's some. There's probably some disjointed meltdowns. On. <laughs> At one point, one of them whipped out the phone, and I was trying to pull the oil pan to check for our TV, and I'm just bitching, just <laughs> mad about everything. I have to apologize to them. Like half days, half of the days I work at the shop, just it makes me so upset. But what I've learned is, I'm not very good at not being very good at some things because I've been highly focused on a on a on a outlet that I am fairly skilled at yeah. for so long. Like I if you focus your life around time. the things that you're good at, if you have to do things that you're yeah. not good at, it sucks. Yeah, and it, and. And learning that it's kind of like I don't have any sympathy at the shop because it's like Andy and Dakota who have made their living working on cars. And I'm like, I'm mad and bitching about wrenching and I can't do this. This sucks. And they're like, yeah, too bad. Like, get in there, kid. (laughs) (laughs) The nice part is Andy's sister, Kirsten, also hates working on cars, tries her best to do all of her own work and gets some help from Andy the same that I do. So I get sympathy from Kirsten and I get patience from Andy because Andy's very patient to let me struggle but help when I need it. Sure. I don't know. I'm set up for success with it. I hope the videos are fun. I, I enjoy I them. Fun. My favorite part is making the video. Like the, the rest of it is, I don't like working on the car. No, <laughs> really and like, like when I had my Evo, um, I would work on my car not because I enjoyed it, but because I felt like I was the only person that could because I didn't have what I thought to be a sizable budget to to hire out good work. Yeah, good work is expensive. Very. And, and it ought to be. I mean, I'm, I'm learning that whole side that I never, like, I was so lucky to be, sh- I was never like a funded go-kart kid with like thousands and thousands of dollars poured into my racing efforts, but I was so much more spoiled than I ever took, like, took for granted. No, I did take for granted, like how lucky I was to never have to learn on a car, uh, to work on a car, never have to, um really manage my own car. I kind of only had my own car for like two years. Sure. And I got lucky that neither of them ever broke catastrophically. Or, you know, it, it, well, you drove reliable cars, which probably helped. I did. I did. Man, those old Hondas. There's something to it if you don't <laughs> modify them too much. <laughs> well, and I think that's the thing. Uh, I remember uh, the Gears and Gasoline guys did a video about, um, they were polling a grid life audience. What, what's the best track car? And I think Alex Moss famously said, the one that you can afford to drive as much as possible. Yeah. And uh, I, at the time, didn't have that advice, and I went the opposite direction. I had what I could, would consider a highly modified car, but because of that, I couldn't afford to take it to the track all the time, and I yeah. couldn't afford premium labor. And so I ended up working on cars, which I hate doing. Um, you maybe have uh, a, a similar skill set as me. One of the things that maybe I've talked on the show is I'm really good at reading a procedure, understanding how to execute that procedure, and uh, if things go perfectly, executing that procedure. Mm-hmm. Like, I do this step, I do this step, here's what's supposed to happen, here's what I do, here's what does happen. The skill set that I do not have, and this is true both in the shop and in the kitchen because I really like to cook, I can't improvise. I am not good at it. I hmm. get uncomfortable when something doesn't go according to plan. Like, that bolt's stuck, and I've tried everything. What do I do? Or, yeah. I can't get this axle out. It's supposed to come out. Why won't it come out? What do I do? That part's really frustrating to me. Interesting. Yeah, I think I, I also enjoy instruction-based activities. Cooking, ingredients, all that. I, I love building Lego sets like it's not it's not that sort of activity that bothers me um, so much as I struggle with critical thinking 
and maybe maybe it's the same thing as you're talking about like um, what was the word you used? Improvising. Improvising. Thank you. I I'm not strong at like I, I think of like the fourth grade aptitude test that tests you out of like grade school into middle school or whatever, and you have to do all of these you know shape identification and spatial awareness. There's all the you know, basic math skills, and then the, at the very end there's like the critical thinking. Like, here's something complicated. Figure this this problem out. I was always garbage at those. Okay. I, I don't have the strong, you know, and the part that affects me now is I'll have someone come in and help, and they have the critical thinking or the experience, whichever one it is, to just do it quickly. Back when I had my S2000, Eric Cotillo would do it for 45 seconds in his garage. Now it's Andy, whoever it is. Uh, and I find it frustrating on top of the, like knowing I'm not great at figuring that kind of stuff yeah. out. So for me, it's like anxiety-inducing. Like, I, I tried this, and it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just a source of stress. Even if I know what to do, it's, it's just a stressful situation. And uh, I am happy to work on a third car. If my wife and I have each our own car that we can go to and from work, I will work on a third car because if things don't go according to plan, I can just leave it. Right. Uh, but for everything that I depend on now, it's like, well, I just, I just need to send it to somebody because I can't, I can't handle that stress. Totally. Uh, I think, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm learning. This is my first track day with the BRZ. I did nine modifications over about six days before I drove it anywhere. Cause it was snowy and stuff. I didn't want to drive it in the salt. So I did, I think, I think I learned that I did too much without any sort of payoff to drive it. Oh, sure. Like if I had done the brakes and then driven it, and then I had done the, the springs and then driven it, and then done the camber plates and driven it, like I think the payoff would have been a little bit better balanced mm-hmm. versus just like walking into the shop, going into the vacuum for a little bit, and then never getting any payoff. So my new rule is one mod, one drive. Okay, sure. So I'm going sure. to try to follow well, that. That's probably good practice anyway. Yeah. Um, and then the car is not for anything. Like I'm not building, everyone thinks I'm going GLTC with it or to Club TR or something. Like it's not even for, it's not for anything at all. I'm building it to be what I want for now. If I find a competition outlet for it, that's great. Well, I, I do I know that rear wheel drive sports cars are especially practical in Wisconsin. Yeah. But that's what my Lex, that's what my Acura Vigor is for. An Acura what? Vigor. I don't know this. Oh, the, the old car. The little red old, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the nice part is the pressure's off. There's no schedule for the car. There's no, uh, there's no like end goal. There's no timeline. It's not my daily. Uh, it's just, I think it's something that's going to teach me. It's already been teaching me a lot about myself for better or for worse. And it's going to continue to teach me. My ultimate goal is to have it be highly adjustable for me to learn to engineer cars better. Okay. Because I am lacking in that, in the motorsport scope. That's the thing I'm the, I'm the least strong at is actually honing in on what the change needs to be to get what I want from what it's doing. Right. So when you're in the driver's seat, you you may have um, feedback, yes. but it's just about what feedback. the car is doing, not actually what to change. I, I know what it's doing. I know what I want it to do instead. I start to fumble when it comes to actually making it do that. See ya. Um, especially shocks. So I know I want I know I want shocks. I want adjustable bars. I want anything that can help me develop that chassis. And the nice part is that chassis is the same as the old car. There's tons of information about it. It's a swappable engine for the old cars and the new cars. So it ties in really nicely to the thing that the team is doing. Sure. If you notice, there's as many FRSs and BRZs as there are S2000s up there right now. That's probably a good approach because they haven't made S2000s in a while, and they're still making BRZs. Exactly. When we went to that endurance race. The two S2000s failed both races a bunch, and all the FRSs and BRZs that were on the track, except for when the drivers failed, 
finished. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a two-pronged approach of like Tom learns a lot. We, as a team, are doing a new chassis thing, you know, developing a new thing. I've driven all of them up there today, and I feel like, oh, okay, this is starting to click. Like, I know exactly what this car is, wants to do, what it's going to need. What, like, so what, what's like, been the experience here? I mean, you've been to Barber a bunch of times. What's that car like here? Uh, mine, it's way too fast for what it is. Really? <laughs> yeah. I did a 139.1 this morning That's on quick. my fourth lap on the Bridgestones, which we know are fastest on the first lap. Um, the GLTC cars that were legal here last year, no one here is legal right now. They're all in some form of power, weight, tire choice, whatever. No one cares. Um, the legal ones last year did 135s, and most of the field here is in the 37s and 38s. So that car is within two seconds of a majority of the GLTC cars that are at this event with lowering springs, camber plates, and good tires. Cool. So it makes me want a race car one, but I'm not turning that car into a race car. And if you ever see me do it, stop me, please. <laughs> so, I mean, we are enablers. I don't think that, that would I ever know, happen. You, you should not depend on any of your car friends to <laughs> stop you from turning it into a race car. Right. Um, you need, like, family friends that do that, not car friends. I do. I'll call my mom. Mom, stop <laughs> me. Mom, if you listen to this. Um, but overall, I mean, so it's fast. I, I'm really happy with how... You know, it doesn't ever feel flat, which is what I always hated about the old cars. The, the, the handling was a little bit flat in that it was a dull. It was a little pushy, a little bit, like, numb, in my opinion, until you really started to breathe on the chassis and the modifications. And the power was always just abysmal. I hated that, I hated that engine. Yeah, for sure. It's just not confidence. They're not inspiring in any way. And this car is both of those things now with the mods that I've done to it and the way it comes. Um, it's a little pushy in the long, long, long steady state stuff. You can feel it's a little bit front heavy relative to the S2000s that I'm used to right now. Sure. But the S2000s, believe it or not, are like rear weight biased. Like they're over 50% rear weight the way that we build them. Yeah. So you can tell the extra front weight and it's probably only what, like 55% front weight max. Sure. So I'm starting to set some ground rules for like how far I'm going to go with it to not make it into T3, even though I want T3 all the time. Um, but I have no complaints. I think I'm like very, very happy with how fast it can go. The other thing, I like having a passenger seat. I yeah, for sure. For rides, and I haven't gotten to share a track experience with people in a very long time. Yeah. So I want to keep that, and I, th- I mean, I'm already getting a little like I don't need to do more laps, but I will take more rides. So sure, sure, sure. That's that's going to be fun to keep as a way to keep that car engaging, even if there's not something new to do to it, is to be able to share that with people and give rides and and always have a street streetable car that we can just throw people in and go do laps that's cool we've literally not had one of those in asm for over a year yeah well, <laughs> when, cars. before i came uh, down this weekend i looked at my helmet which is in the closet and i was like do i need this and i thought for a second i don't ride with just anyone and i was like well actually everyone that i would safely ride with is in a gltc car so yeah. uh there's no one that I would ride with, so I don't need a helmet. So I just left it there. Uh-huh. I, I feel like I've been to this track a bunch. I've driven at this track a decent number of times, or enough for me. And so I was like, I'll just record podcast. Sure. But uh, if someone has a helmet, maybe I'll ride with you. We got plenty of helmets. Matan's yeah. got a passenger seat, too. Oh, does he? I actually have my spare helmet. We got you. All right. Um, and Scott hasn't ridden on this track yet, either. Let's do it. So... Uh, it's been a little bit of a tough morning. I've seen a few cars crash. Uh, it was very, very cold this morning. Did you go out? That was the session I did the 39 in. So that, okay. you could argue whether those are ideal conditions, but a GR86 crashed in the session before I went out. I'm like, okay, let's be careful. <laughs> yeah. um, and it fine. seems like that spot, it's 
four. Is that right? Yeah, four uh, is where you come up over the over the hill. hill. Uh, a car does does the GR86 go fast enough to get light there? Or no. okay, you know, I've I've driven not as much here as you probably think, seat time wise, but a good variety at track days and. Turn four has never been a big deal for me. You come out of, you know, if you're following us at Barber, you turn left for turn one. That long sweeping right-hander that goes up and then down is turns two and three. So turn four is the big crest where you're still turning right. And it wasn't until we were coming here for one lap in the ZR1. Always wondered, like, what is that curbing on the left side of the track after the crest all the way on the left side, halfway down that straightaway for? Who's over there? And then I go out in the ZR1, and I'm like, oh, I'm over there. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one that's light and floating and steering wheel straight and counter-steering up to that curb. So uh, I, I think it would be fun for a second. Engage me a little bit. Coming over that corner, yeah. I've, I'm picturing it in my mind. Um, the car's loaded up all the way until overcrest, or like, is, is the wheel straight and you're on power before you get to the top of the hill? You're still turning. Um, on every, Everything in GLTC, every, all of our stuff is mindless it, there's no there's no like the lime rock over the crest thing where you're like the wheels go light and everything and you hear the engines it's not even close to that okay. so it, it took until a 700 horsepower corvette to get to the point where you're it wasn't even spinning the wheels but it was enough to kind of float the car I lane see. over to the left i see so it, it's it's probably more of an intimidating looking thing than it is a real challenge so um how do and uh, it, that gr86 was not the first car that i've seen go touch the wall there no what is it about that corner that you think makes makes cars loop in on that inside two ideas one is testing the conditions on a 28 degree morning and lifting at the wrong time okay. thinking like I'm going to be safe and you actually shot yourself in the foot um, so after you go light you're still turning a little bit right you start to see where you're going and you lift to be safe and you just continue uh. right I also have a story from a champ car race here one of the most like surreal moments of my life we were under full course yellow and everyone gets spread out coming down that hill and then you come up over the crest and everyone has to slow down for the hairpin at turn yep. 5 so the whole field's stacking up, and you're flying up over turn four and then hard on the brakes because the whole field's right there. And I come over, the, and everyone's fanning out and slowing down. And two cars behind me, I'm watching them slow, making sure I'm not going to get hit. And all of a sudden, another car pops out from behind, grabs the rear tire, and flips under full course caution because he didn't stop fast enough. Oh, jeez. And in my little mirror, it literally felt like, hold your phone in front of your face like you're watching a YouTube video. That's my mirror, and I just watched someone flip over. I'm like, was that real life? Or did I, like, is YouTube on my mirror right now? And it, someone flipped over under full course. But those are the only two ways I can see a crash there, unless you're in five, six, seven hundred horsepower. So in, in like a GLTC spec type car, let's say that your your wheel still turned right and you're you're fully on power. You don't think the car is necessarily oversteering in that spot with the wheel turned. It's just like you're doing something oh, no, reactionary no. that's causing the problem Correct. instead. I think it has to be driver-induced for sure. Yeah. Um, it's one of those well, one of those places where you can get yourself in way more trouble than you realized, but only after you did it, kind of okay. thing. You know what I mean? Are you? Uh, hold on, she just did a call for a GLTC sprint race. She did. Are you GLTC GLTC sprinting? I'm not racing, but I'm supposed to help him organize grid. Oh, you're so. like a race. Uh, you're, you're grid boss, or um, I'm grid boss. Yeah, we're doing a tomvert instead of an invert, where <laughs> I decided what the invert should be. How many invert is the invert? <laughs> well, I really wanted it. Um, Andrew Rains and Matan had an amazing race yesterday, but Matan couldn't quite figure his way around. And Luke ended up learning enough to catch up to them. Yep. So they had this great three-car battle. Unfortunately, Andrew is sharing the car with Colton today. And I don't think Colton's driven the car enough to start where he was battling with Matan. 
but I wanted that to be the, the invert, like put those three on the front row and then let everyone else figure out how to get by them. So it's still going to be Luke and Matan on the front row, but the best part is Zach's car broke like 10 minutes before the race yesterday, uh-huh. and they couldn't get it fixed. Zach had qualified fifth, so because he didn't race yesterday, I inverted him to the front. So it's Zach on pole, then Luke, then Matan, then the rest of the field. Well, I know that. that Luke and Matan had an amazing battle at the start of the super grid at pit race. I cool? really enjoyed watching it. They battled for like 15 minutes, and they were both like, meh, and they, they pitted in. Sure. Because those are sprint cars, not endurance cars. But And that was Matan's Miata then, right? Could, or was it the Corvette? It might have been the Corvette. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it was the Corvette actually, but they like they battle pretty well, so yeah. I, I think that'll be fun to watch. It will be really and and behind them it's the winning Formula Miatas and the ASM S two thousands, so they can figure out a way around. But it's two Corvettes on the front row plus Zach. Zach's mom's here. Zach's whole family's here. Like there's literally a cheering section, but it's all Zach's people from <laughs> Alabama, <laughs> just like filling the the front row stands or the front straight uh, building. Uh, so yeah, it's I'm super grateful that Nabil let us do this. It was Zach's idea to ask because he wanted to race with his friends at this track, his home track. Yep. And Nabil played ball, and now we're here. Yeah, here, here um, we are. So one last thing before we let go is you talked about uh, a few more videos in the queue associated with finishing the BRZ and then uh, being on track. Um, if you're going to be releasing videos steadily, what's the next project? Oh, I'm I'm still gonna probably do like one mod at a time. Okay. Um, other video wise, I mean, we have so many ideas around the shop. It's like the the bandwidth is the hardest part. So we do cool stuff that could be filmed literally every day on on all sorts of aspects, whether it's working on a car or planning. You know, we have so much content from last year, but we don't necessarily have the time to make with well, maintaining a healthy life balance anyway <laughs> to to continually do that. So. Uh, the other thing is Andy doesn't really like to be slowed down with filming because he can crank through stuff so fast and filming like doubles the time no matter what. Um, so we're, we're trying to get better at that. Um, but I think you'll see a pretty good variety. It's going to be a lot of his drift car build next. So mine, okay. mine's wrapping up uh, up till now. It'll, you'll see a lot more of his drift car, maybe a bit of my car here and there. Maybe two new cars that will get to okay um, um something i want to uh, uh commend you on is um your ability to talk into the camera and smile and be bubbly and be charming um prior to this event i had to like do a little thing for instagram to tell people that i was going to give free t-shirts if they came up to me while i was at barber yeah and i don't have a particularly smiley personality i'm a pretty serious guy and uh I ended up having to like do multiple takes just to get something that was passable because it's hard to it not feel like a douche. It is. The the nice part is so I got a lot of practice with the Instagram stories and I'm not naturally that way either. I'm not I'm not faking it, but I've had to learn how to be comfortable with it, if that makes sense. There's like a line between like you're full on faking it, like I'm hamming it up, and just being comfortable enough to put a camera on yourself. I'm in that second phase. But I had to get comfortable with it when Hayward Wagner from SCCA told me, if you're going to do this pro racing stuff, you're going to have to get comfortable on camera. And he knew that I was not at the time. So I've gotten comfortable enough to, like, be myself on camera. I'm probably more myself on camera when I'm by myself than I am in in social interaction because I'm just, I have a lot of social anxiety that can trickle in at any random time. And I, I get uncomfortable in crowds. So it's, in a way, once you get comfortable filming yourself especially when you get comfortable editing yourself because editing you can make yourself 
you learn how you can retake and you're you're cleaner on a retake necessarily like sure. like the gears and gasoline guys do it they were just at the shop the other week and you could see how comfortable he was to realize he wasn't expressing his thought the way he wanted pause for a second for editing he would clip like mentally you can see him like okay i'll clip there and i'll try again oh really so it's don't don't like hesitate because you need retakes that like all of us are retaking stuff do you have any uh tips the is there like in your head is there someone that you're talking to as you're doing these videos or is it just like I'm just talking to everybody. You know what the weird one is? The sunglasses helped a lot because eye contact doesn't matter. Oh, sure. So if you were to take my sunglasses off, I look crazy probably. Like I'm all over the place. Probably right now, if you were to like actually track my eyes, I can't keep eye contact all that well, which is now this is awkward because we're well, making like eye contact. Your, uh, <laughs> like your eyes are moving because your brain might be searching for the right words. Yes. Like you're, you're, you're thinking as you're talking. And it's, it's really difficult. Um, it might be easier for me if like... If I were doing a video call with Adam and I needed to do an ad at that moment by just telling it to Adam. Yep. But the fact that there was no screen and it was just me looking at a camera made things way hard. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I'm learning that with our podcast. D- DJ and I started a podcast six months ago at this point, I guess. We're on like episode 25. So you, I'm like, I can't believe how long you guys have kept. <laughs> we're, it feels like we've been doing that forever. We're, we're, we're going like to touch 30. 500 here in, up, in a few weeks. But Actually, we've always recorded. I, I know that I've already recorded 500. One of these episodes that I was here this weekend is 500. That's crazy. Um, we've always recorded remotely. Yeah. So like I'm recording locally. He's recording locally. We're not on camera together. We can hear each other. But it's very natural feeling because I'm just sitting in my house and doing Talking whatever. to DJ. And now we just got a thing just like you have a thing to record in person. And he'll like hit the start music and I'm like, what do I do? Who do I look at? Where, what do I do with my eyes? What do I do with my hands? Because we can actually see each other now. <laughs> and then it becomes comfortable again. But okay, kind of weird. Um, well, I wish you very good luck in 2023. And I'm sure I will see you at least a dozen times this year. A lot. Yep. Yeah. So uh, good luck. And uh, we'll probably... Uh, uh, you want to go watch a race? I want to go watch a race. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pit Sigrid Live to say hello. Hello.